0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the e commerce insights podcast. I'm your host, Scott DeGrossier, founder and CEO of Wicked Reports. Today I have with me Peter Mitrovich. Say that right, Peter?
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> he's an independent media buyer. He has a diverse range of industries he's been working with and over 50 clients. And I'm happy to have him on the show today. Thanks for making the time, Peter. Thanks for having me, Scott. So a lot of different clients and industries, I I can see that can create a really interesting toolbox that you can use for all the different situations. Some people get hyper-focused on one tiny niche, and I really like your broad experiences. So we're going to dig into that. First, uh, for the audience that doesn't know you, if you could get into how did you first get involved with media buying to begin with?
1: I'm that kind of marketeer that got into marketing very young. It's not that I made like a shift from one thing to the other. I genuinely liked marketing since I was like 17. I read books about it and uh, I knew that, you know, one day I will be working in the industry. So naturally, I started doing some internships in marketing agencies and I got my first job as an assistant in mainly BTL agencies and we had a very major client here in Serbia from the telco industry. And that was my first, like, entry into the serious world of marketing. It wasn't anything related to digital. Digital was still kind of young here. It was 2012. I always knew that digital marketing and digital channels are the future. I kind of worked there and learned stuff, but I knew that I need to find a way to get into it. So I read books about uh, Google ads, Facebook ads was uh, starting to scale and to be a much more serious platform. And I did a couple of Facebook campaigns for my friends that had, like, like some uh, local events and local local businesses. It was very easy back then. You had like just a couple of settings. And I figured out what a click is, what an impression is, click-through rate, and all those basic things. I got an opportunity to join an early stage startup, which was basically a five-person mini company or a boy band, as I like to say. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a very promising thing. It was a very promising industry, a uh, fish and char industry. And I decided to quit that job and to join it and i was the first person that was dealing with marketing and i tried doing some affiliate marketing you know calling people to get them on board because we knew that affiliate marketing is a thing for travel but A couple of months after, I started doing Google Ads more seriously for the company. And that became basically my my full-time job. And as the company grew, and as we had more and more locations to advertise for, the account grew, the spend grew, and my experience and knowledge with that. So basically, it kept growing and growing over the course of five years. And we formed a team of people that I led. We had social media marketeers, we had Google Ads marketeers. So that's basically how I kind of got into doing serious media buying and how i kind of went from google ads to using bing ads to learn about attribution to do more serious facebook Mm -hmm. ads and how to diverse further after that i just i just knew that i would like to do things for multiple clients and try uh, working in different industries And I started taking some freelance jobs in uh, e-commerce, retail, like I wanted to try out different challenges and different problems because every industry and every client and every market, like US market and Dutch market is not the same. I just went with the flow. I just started doing stuff, learning stuff. And there's a lot of interesting stories to share there.
0: With the fishing charters. So you start in and probably you say, well, I'm going to start targeting fishing charter as a keyword. (laughs) but I mean, then it gets down the rabbit hole from there. What was your budget you started with and what did you get it to? Because I know that that company scaled like 20X in headcount. So I imagine the revenue grew along with it to fund that. So like how much did your budget go up and then how did you expand? Was pay-per-click driving a lot of the growth more than affiliate? Anytime you 20x something, that's, you know, worth hearing how you did that, I think.
1: That's a very good question. And I had the luck to scale linearly. It wasn't like an exponential growth that happened overnight. It really happened naturally and slow. I mean, slow. It's relatively fast from my point of view to go from 5 people to 100 plus in 5 years but it was basically like a quarter on quarter growth in terms of uh, budget, in terms of headcount. we had like 1 or 2 hires but yeah, when you take it slow and go step by step it's much more easier than rushing it, doing it overnight and I know companies that had exponential growth in terms of budgets and spend and everything and it doesn't seem like a good idea because even if you're using things like smart bidding and automation it doesn't like rapid, fast, overnight changes. You know, neither human beings do. That's never mm-hmm. a good thing.
0: Now you've been doing this for nine years. When you take on a new client, what what's most important to get them results? What is it that you've got to... I mean, obviously they want ROI,
1: but what do you need to do to get that ROI for them? We're getting into more and more complicated questions. I really, really like that. So yeah, ROI is definitely the king of every business. ROI, ROS, different businesses track different things, but it's, it's basically the same metric. I really like understanding the business KPIs from a deeper point of view, because usually I'm able to help beyond just pure media buying. I do have clients that are looking to get leads, but I'm always following up on the lead quality and how many sales are actually closing out of those leads. And then we go further to see if there's some feedback and hidden metrics that I can also use for better advertising. So when it comes to meeting those goals, I try to reverse engineer everything and to try and get as much as information possible so I can not increase the budget. You can get better ROI and ROAS by just reallocating budget. You know, if you take thousand bucks out of something that doesn't work and put it into something that definitely works... Automatically, you will be having a much more um, efficient advertising, and your ROI will go up. That's where tracking kicks in because without proper tracking, you will never know where are those bad thousand dollars at, you know, and where are those thousand dollars that can help you scaling growth. It's a fairly complicated process that relies on a lot of details. But being able to track is like the umbrella of all of it because if we are relying on guesswork, then that's a serious problem.
0: I agree with that assessment on moving the. Money. When I did the wicked playbooks for the framework of how to like use attribution data, it wasn't always just add more money because I didn't want to assume people, first of all, had more money allocated for the month (laughs) on their budget. But usually within a given ad, let's just say you're testing four ad messages on an ad set, if we're talking Facebook, there's probably one that's driving most of the LTV and ROI and revenue and you should move your money there. One or two ad messages that aren't really working for that ad set, which you'll want to stop spending on those ads for that given targeting. Same with Google, certain keywords. You know, you got 400 keywords in an ad group. Well, probably 10 of them are the one driving all the revenue. And the rest of them are all ideas that were worth testing that you should now stop spending on or just change your message because the one you have isn't working. It was always about how do you make things more efficient and optimize over find more money to spend? (laughs) Because people usually get to budget it out. They're like, hey, well, that's great. But I've already, you know, this is what I have for the month. I don't have an extra 10 grand here. Let
1: Let me give you a fresh example that I have with a client. So we made a conclusion that females are a dominant gender category when it comes to purchases. And we know that females have a higher ROI. And it doesn't matter if the traffic source is Google, Facebook, it's just a matter of the funnel and the actual product. One of the obvious things is to take some money out of males and put it into advertising towards females. And the problem with uh, Facebook now is that you do not have a way to look at data based on gender. You did before. Usually the budget reallocation lies in something tiny and relatively stupid. There's a certain age category that it doesn't work well and you need to target people that are much higher in terms of age. There's certain location or city that doesn't work well. And then you just need to dive deeper into it and just, and just allocate the budget properly. Of course, things like smart bidding and pixel and when you have data, the machine should be able to handle it. But I do have a lot of clients, local clients, smaller businesses that do not have a sufficient budget to make the machine smart. Because Uh to make the machine smart, you need to spend money and you need to have data. For smaller businesses and smaller clients, they just do not have that budget because of the nature of the business. And they can never use smart bidding and have a very smart pixel. So you need to optimize things based on conclusions and data and diving deeper into it. Everybody's talking, about, you know, use smart bidding, use pixel, fine, but that works if you have a lot of data and to have a lot of data, you need to spend a lot of money and not everyone is spending a lot of money. That's something that kind of bothers me because nobody's looking at those small and even medium sized businesses that are not able to do that.
0: One thing I've been noticing is that with the Facebook iOS changes, the pixels, well, one, it's, it's having a little bit more trouble but also it's optimizing bottom funnel much more heavily weighted it seems much more challenging those bottom of the funnel for people that people listen to this podcast a lot know i talk about this quite a bit but when someone buys it's rare that that was the very first time they ever saw an ad it's very hard to cold convert someone who's never heard of you on one impression tough to do so there's a journey and there's multiple clicks and Facebook's Pixel seems to be waiting just the last click because they want to say, hey, look at all the revenue we've driven you. But then they're ignoring, hey, how did that person get to that point where they clicked and bought? Have you had to make any tweaks in the past six months for top of the funnel? Or what are you doing around the top of the funnel stage versus the bottom, particularly on Facebook, but anywhere, really?
1: Yeah. So my experience with uh, Facebook over the past couple of months is is very, very bad. And I recently did a report on a client, we compared the cost per click in uh, January this year versus January last year, and we have an increase by 300%, which is just crazy. It's not only that Facebook is more expensive, you're losing your ability to properly track things, which is obviously influencing the pixel and it's just not working as well as it was. And besides that, there's a lot of problems with disapproved pages, disapproved business managers for no reason, and then you need to go back and forth with them. And once you fix it, you already lost a month, you already lost data, audiences, and everything goes to hell. I don't know what's happening with them. I get that there's a lot of legal challenges and there's like a cold war between Facebook and (laughs) Apple, but it's really influencing not just me as a marketeer, but a lot of businesses. And I really know people that have like a serious troubles with their businesses and lives and income, because Facebook was usually their main source of leads and clients. I can see things beyond just blog posts, like, you know, Facebook is bad at tracking, there's something happening in terms of iOS. I can see people and businesses having a negative impact on their lives because of that issue. They're either trying to find ways and softwares to track things better so they can increase the performance somehow, or they're trying different platforms like uh, Google Ads Bing ads, even LinkedIn, if there's some B2B, it's a very, very strange six months in terms of Facebook, definitely. I had done an
0: analysis. We tracked a couple, I think like four or five billion in ad spend now, but at the time I tracked two and I did this blog post was lessons on two billion in ad spend tracked. And a surprising thing to me at the time, this was after 2019, was that lifetime value on Google ads was significantly more than Facebook if you looked for a year. But if you look short term, Facebook was always cheaper and bigger quantity. And that's Mm. what people like the immediate thing. And it's just easy to target a person. Google isn't that much harder, but it was just enough harder that people preferred Facebook because the immediate flow (laughs) of of activity held true that Facebook's value was more in the quantity and the speed, particularly in the first two weeks, all the stuff you'd get in. But if you could take a Google 90 day or 180 day view, which isn't easy to do, but if you can, Google usually would win out. I mean, everything has outliers, right? It's not like always this is going to be the case, but that was a general trend over billions of dollars at the
1: time. So I'm always struggling to make Facebook works for lead gen clients because they have the quantity, they have a lot of leads, and the CPA for a lead is very, very low and always lower than Google Ads. But the quality is just terrible because... Terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nothing can match the quality of a Google search campaign because it's the only channel on the internet and not just on the internet offline also that serves an ad at the moment where you want it. There's no channel in the world where you sit down and say, buy LCD TVs, and then you have an ad for it. Every other form of advertising is either interruption marketing, or some sort of a direct ad that doesn't have that intent as google search but okay search is a whole different category but yeah facebook facebook is great for a quantity quality if you manage to nail the audience very good or if you have a very good we targeting list then it can make wonders but definitely i can see a decline in terms of trackability and performance and i don't know what's the plan there but for me as a marketeer it's just a very rough rough year when it comes to facebook
0: Apple and Facebook's war comes down to data. So shifting gears just a touch here, Like when you look at your marketing data and what you've looked at, what's been the most like surprising thing that data has popped out to you in your travels?
1: I do like to analyze customer journeys, which is something that software really makes easy for me because to be able to properly track customer journeys and Every touchpoint, you need to have very sophisticated uh, software and tracking. Google gives me customer journey, but only for Google touchpoints, which is a closed ecosystem. And I still do have some sort of context and uh, I can measure what happened with that click, but I cannot see beyond it, like what happened with uh, Facebook, email, and just to have the full spectrum of what actually helped me make a sale or an opt-in. Customer journeys is definitely one of the most valuable things that also gives you a perspective on the actual length and timeline and how much time do you need to actually get a sale from the first click, from the last click, from the first opt-in, which is a very important thing for a lot of clients to be able to kind of predict their cash flow and to know if if they pay hundred bucks for advertising in May, they need to predict if it will get back in August or December next year. To be able Mm -hmm. to properly calculate the lifetime value and all the other things that matter. Yeah, definitely customer journeys are something that I'm very into. I've seen some very crazy journeys like that last for months and that have like hundreds of touch points. And I always like to give an example of myself when I purchased my, my new car. If somebody mapped out my touch points and entries to those websites, review websites, YouTube videos, I think that would be like a thousand touch point journey. And then I was like, okay, if I opened up the same website for over 200 times for purchasing a car, why am I expecting from my advertising and my clients to make a sale in a single day? Purchasing a car is a different category. It is a different type of product. But even for cheaper products, people think of advertising like, okay, somebody clicked on the ad, they will buy or they will not. It's not that easy. Maybe they will not buy instantly, but you will get them in a list. Then you can retarget to them. Maybe they were on their mobile driving somewhere and they got interrupted or they were in public transportation and they just needed to close the tab down. Customer journeys are probably one of the most valuable reports that you can have now. And you need to know how to read them properly because just looking at the dots and the touch points is not enough. You need to be able to say, okay, Facebook is driving very good first click leads and opt-ins. Fine. So we'll use Facebook as a top of the funnel campaign. Cool. Now we have Google retargeting campaign, which is obviously driving people back that are taking some sort of an action. Cool, then we'll give some budget to Google for the middle of the funnel campaign. And then we have third platform, which is email. So, email, e- email
0: is, usually, right, to close email or SMS. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely.
1: <laughs> That's also one of very, very big problems. Like all softwares that, all the easy and plain softwares that I use, last click. And when you have a funnel that has email as the last touch point, you'll probably see a lot of revenue and sales going to email. Business owners can be very deceived by looking at that and saying, wow, you know, email is the king. It is, but only for last click sales. You cannot see what happened before that. You cannot see how that person ended up in your email list how that person you know, builds trust by getting back 20 times to your website, seeing certain videos and other things. That's what customer journey gives you, like a full overview of touch points. And I think that's a very, very valuable thing now that not a lot of people look at and value. I think a lot of things are still last click. I think the industry needs to make a shift to looking at attribution and multiple touch points as a must.
0: I'd agree. That's why I'm in the business.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, yeah. Yeah. With
0: the journeys, when you're having trouble scaling a bottom funnel campaign, often it's because the ad platform is frankly lying, or I wouldn't even say lying, just purposely ignoring other channels. Like email and SMS close a lot of sales. But the cold traffic or the remarketing to get them from cold onto your list, that stuff got them to the point where they're going to buy off the email or the text. And that's where I see a lot of value in the journey mapping, particularly looking at, okay, I see I closed a text with an SMS sale, where did it come from or an email, then tracking back what channel, what campaign targeting and reverse engineering that it can make people a lot of money to do that. Now, are you doing a lot of customer lifetime value? I know sometimes that's often can be client education. You're mentioning how long to get the payback on an ad spend. That probably depends on the sophistication of the client. Not everyone's up for doing a customer lifetime value strategy over just immediate hopeful results. Have you found anything? Are you doing that at all?
1: I would like to be able to do it. That's an honest answer because I can (laughs) probably like say, yeah, I'm using lifetime value. I'm I'm killing it, which is lifetime value was a buzzword, couple of years ago. Now it's implemented in the core strategies. I'm talking about smaller businesses. Now lifetime value is definitely a must. It's hard to track that's the reality of lifetime value because google offers you lifetime value trackability but only if you're a large-scale client they have like some itas going on now that can help you track lifetime value i know that they are publishing the attribution software that will have lifetime value for a couple of years now they have some legal issues with it lifetime value is great but it's hard to track you managed to solve that pretty good and thank you for that i think it's a must especially for for recurring monthly subscriptions uh-huh. that have repeat purchases. Because let me just tell you a very short story about Booking.com because we are very obsessed With Booking, who is like they're the highest spender on Google Ads now, not now, but for a couple of years, I think that's like a billion dollars per year budget. I don't know if that got cut down because of COVID and everything. And this is the official info from Google because I had a lot of luck to work very closely with the guys from Google when I was at Fishing Booker. Booking.com doesn't care about CPA. When I say CPA, I mean the first initial sale. Their lifetime value is so big. And they always end up being profitable. Because when you think of it, they're able to acquire me as a customer for thousand bucks. So I book a room for five hundred bucks. But over a course of a year, I will probably rebook something and have a couple of bookings there, and I'll become a client. And my lifetime value will probably surpass that acquisitional thousand dollars pretty, pretty soon. And when you're able to have that big lifetime value automatically your CPA targets and wages get up. Meaning that you can be more aggressive in terms of call traffic and in terms of getting that client, which completely changes the game when it comes to acquisitional first click campaigns. That would not be possible if Booking.com doesn't know what lifetime value is of their customers. They do have a bunch of smart people. Somebody sat down there and said, listen, guys, we're earning a ton of money out of customers over the course of a couple of years. We are able to have a sufficient and very big CPA for the first sale and they're just killing it. That's a real life (laughs) example. example of a huge company using lifetime value to actually tweak their acquisitional campaigns. Smaller businesses can also do that by knowing their customers better, knowing how much money do they have on the short or long run from a certain product, customer or service. And it can help me as a marketer, you know, have bigger CPA targets for the first sale because businesses usually give you like a target, $20 for getting the customer. And then when I ask them, like, okay, is this something that people buy on a monthly basis? Then they say yes. Then I'm like, okay, but, you know, over the period of six months, you will be having like $1,000 from this client. Why are we not able to spend $100 for getting that customer? And they usually do not have an answer because the concept of lifetime value is not that adopted among business owners and companies. And B, it's hard to track.
0: Let's talk about uh, different channels. I mean, obviously, with the Facebook, Apple drama, I mean, Google's become more prominent. But between just generally Facebook, Google, let's say Pin and Snap and Bing, what's some high-level different concepts and strategies for the different platforms that you found?
1: Very good question. A click that costs a dollar from Facebook and from Google and from Snap and from Twitter and from Quora is not the same click. Even though maybe the conversion rates are the same, even though maybe the engagement metrics are the same, the context of when... A certain platform is used is very important. I'm very amazed by businesses that make millions of dollars by using Facebook ads because people get on Facebook to entertain themselves, digest content, they do not care about buying anything. You need to be very good at interruption marketing and selling stuff and creatives and visuals to be able to get them and pull them into your into your funnel. Google search, we discussed that. It's a unicorn in the marketing industry and uh, I think it will be like the best channel over the next decade probably. Then you have Google display. There's a lot of similarities between Google display and Facebook. They're both visual. They're both Interruptive, and I do like to compare those two, and I do find that they work relatively similar youtube oh i love youtube we can all see like growing you know curve of adoption when it comes to youtube the efficiency the problem is still tracking even if you can guys like figure out a way to track youtube somehow better that would be a very very good upgrade <laughs> I,
0: we I, can I track the click and yeah. we're working on something for first-party data with google that's going to give lift as well view based impressions are just they're just tough They're tough because you can't get the timestamp on them if you don't know who they are. Google
1: struggles in doing that. They're like, listen, we can track some views, but we cannot track like 90% of things. YouTube is based on guesswork, but I do see a lot of differences based on uh, the context. When people say Facebook, I do see a lot of differences between an Instagram click or a Facebook click. You know, people usually do not mention Instagram because it's like under Facebook. Yes, it is, but it has a completely different performance. It's all very hidden. You need to go deep into a graph chart and to see how many impressions and clicks do you have on Instagram. That doesn't make sense to me because it's a completely different platform and it's a completely different setup when it comes to the actual customers are doing on those on those platforms snapchat same thing just a different platform tiktok tiktok is a very interesting one and i do have a lot of inquiries like hey do you do tiktok do you know somebody that does uh-huh. tiktok and you can you help me out with it i'm experimenting with some ads and tiktoks it's also very plain and straightforward you have a dashboard and you publish a video and then you just spend money on it but those are all platforms that are interruptive like okay i'm there looking at some content do your best to grab my attention and to get me to your page, to your website and to look at your video. And those are some of the conclusions and differences that I see. Context matters. What the platform is matters. And and you need to align your approach based on that.
0: Okay. So Apple, Facebook, the IDFA, you know, it's caused a lot of stress, drama. How impactful has it been for the industry as a whole? And where do you think things are headed?
1: Unfortunately, I'm very pessimistic when it comes to this issue. I think this is just the tip of the iceberg and that this is just the beginning of those, you know, cold interplatform wars and concerns when it comes to data and regulations and stuff. I think this is just like the first issue among many that are uh, yet to come over the next couple of years. Because definitely advertising and they're killing the cookie and tracking. There's a lot of concerns about data. And seems to me like this is not the end of issues. I do know that Google has like a never ending war when it comes to checkability. They're managing to kind of have some very silent PR there and to like not make like a big thing out of it. But Google is under a lot of pressure. And I think there will be more issues like this.
0: I'd agree. It's just a war for data. (laughs) you know because the data is what makes them the money
1: first party softwares are definitely a very good way to kind of circumvent all of that and to just have a different way of getting data and using it you know mapping out your own journey and dashboard i think the option of first party tracking softwares is something that will definitely go up that's a very good plan b once issues like this continue to happen
0: What have you seen from measurement when it comes to Facebook before versus now? I personally don't think it's that accurate. That's why I had to start the company to begin with, but certainly open (laughs) to your honest opinion of
1: what you think about it. (laughs) I don't think it was accurate even before because Facebook was very unclear when it comes to the attribution windows and whether a conversion is a click-through or a view-through. And I know a lot of businesses thought that Facebook is working well, but when you go deeper into it, you see that like 90% of conversions were view through, which does have an effect, okay, but it's not the same as a click-through. Especially if you're running a retargeting campaign, of course a person will see your ad because... There in your audience list. But that doesn't mean that they clicked on it and got back to your website. So I think even before this issue, there was a lot of irregularities when it comes to Facebook. Honestly, always used analytics to measure how Facebook is doing because it gave me a much more accurate impression on those click-through sales and everything. Now, I can see a huge decline in terms of what Facebook is telling us in terms of the actual number of sales and leads in action. And there's a lag. There's a much bigger lag now. We are waiting for a couple of days to measure the performance of campaigns that happened like a couple of days ago, which slows down the decision-making process and it just makes it harder to react fast, especially if you have very high budgets. That literally mean that you will spend a couple of thousands of dollars just waiting for that data to get to you. That's a serious impact.
0: This is time spent flown by, Peter. I appreciate you coming on. So if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about what you discussed today, where can we find you?
1: They can find me on LinkedIn, which is probably not what your guests are saying. They probably have a website or something. I only have a website to be able to have an email, to be honest. And my website is, I will not tell you what the website is because it's so terrible that I don't want people to get there. Which is kind of good because that means that I'm getting business by word of mouth. They can find me on LinkedIn. Mitrovic Peter. That's the URL. You'll probably share it in the comment section or somewhere. Yes. Yes, we will. Uh, if they really want to get in touch, they can play around with LinkedIn search. They know my face. I do have a profile showing my face also. Peter Mitrovich. They can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best medium. They can just add me or just send a message. I'll be very, very happy to get in touch and connect. I just connected with you. I popped it open and found you easy. Oh,
0: thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, Peter. And thanks for your time and your expertise. Have a good one.
1: You too. Thank you so much for the invite.